Glad to be uh, here this morning with you. Glad to see you this morning as well. Truth of those words, God is good. We have so much to be thankful for. Uh, oftentimes, we just uh, we just go so busy through life that we forget to think about things, or we're focused so much on the, the, the difficulties in our life, we forget just how much we have to be thankful for. And so, this morning, um, just have a question for you. What's uh, when's the last time that you were amazed by something? When's the last time you were amazed by something? Was anybody amazed by anything this morning? You were just like, well, let me just give you a quick uh, definition of amazed. Amazed is something that caused you great surprise or wonder. Maybe it was something that was astonishing or astounding or stunning or breathtaking. How many of you had something this morning like, yeah, those were the words? How about yesterday? Yesterday there was something sweet. Yeah, you were here yesterday. That's probably why. How many, uh, <laughs> how, how many, uh, how many of this past week, you know? It was like, man, I was like, it was astounding, astonishing, stunning. Past month? We got a show of hands? Yeah, we're going to... Some of us are like, I don't do hands for nothing. <laughs> All right, we'll keep working. A couple of weeks back, Gary was talking about nature and the solar system and just how massive our universe is and how, how amazing God is. And as he explained the distances between, I listened, I thought... I've heard this stuff before, you know. It didn't grab me like the first time. The first time I heard about how small this planet is and how that the fact that God knows about me, that, that was an amazing, amazing moment. That was a, an astonishing moment. But, you know, when you hear it the second time, eh, yeah, I've heard that before. And so, you know, the thing that I realized, though, is just because I've heard it before and just because time has passed doesn't mean it's any less amazing than it was the first time. And we're surrounded by amazing things. You're surrounded by it. For instance, um, have you, did you check out a piece of grass this morning? How many of you are amazed by grass? It's just the lawn guy, right? So some of you are like... You know, it's like, I'm amazed at how fast it grows, right? Uh, you know, it's not really, like, you look at it, you're like, ah, it's grass, right? It's not that amazing until you try and make one. And then you're like, oh, that's pretty intricate and detailed, and there's millions of them in my lawn, and I can't even make one. Well, that's pretty amazing. And you saw it with your human eye, which is Absolutely amazing. Gee, the iPhone 10 came out with, uh, and they said, this is the big deal. We've got a 12 megapixel camera, or two or three of them on there, but a 12 megapixel camera. Did you realize that God put two 576 megapixel cameras in your face? Like, our greatest technology doesn't come anywhere close to what God designed thousands of years ago. That's pretty amazing. You know, there's people around us that are pretty amazing. There's a show called Britain's Got Talent. It's where you would have first met this woman. Who knows her? Susan Boyle, eh? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know if you had, like, maybe 10 years ago, you watched, and you're like, yeah, there's Simon, just giving her, like, the look, like, oh, this is going to be painful. And then hearing her voice for the first time, and it's like, <gasps> like, goosebumps. I watched it the other day, and I'm like, man, it still has that thing, but some of you are like, ah, it's Susan Boyle, you know, the next one, Grace Vanderwall, or maybe you've even moved on from her to the next, the next big thing. We, we, these things just, you know, or people, even they just kind of like, oh, it was 10 years ago, it was amazing back then. It's still pretty amazing. And then there's the people in our lives, you know, like our spouses. I asked Beth to send me a picture that I could use for this morning. This is what she sent to me. So... Uh, <laughs> I went through all my pictures and had to find this one instead because it just the other one's not inspiring to me. But here's yes, me in my Mountie costume. Um, but uh, 
don't focus on that. Just focus on the woman that I'm focused on because she's an amazing, amazing person. Somebody that, that I get to live with every single day that I don't always remember, uh, but, and, and most of you never get to see. She's someone who gets up early so that she can spend time in the Word every day, an hour beforehand, so that she's filled up with his presence when she begins to start parenting. You know, that when, when uh, people sign up for small groups, she's, she said, oh, there's 30 women signed up for my Bible study. I was expecting 12. But you know what? Praise God, there's 30. Let's make this work. She's got compassion like crazy. You know, she's the, the, the heart for, for people around her, cooking the, for meals for people that are, you know, going through difficult times. It's like, there's just something amazing about, about her. And yet, you know, your spouse, there's always times where you can focus, tend to focus on the things that, you know, you're not as excited about. And oftentimes we take things that are, and people around us, amazing things, amazing people, we take it for granted. You know, you walked out in your lawn this morning, it's like, eh, it's just grass. You know, maybe you're like, ah, eyes, I didn't even think about how amazing they are. You don't really think about it until you lose sight. Um, Bob Edington, a guy from our church, had surgery on his eye this week, and then uh, after he left the surgery, he was completely blind in that eye. And so I had to drive him back to the hospital Friday morning to have uh, another consultation and uh, he's going for another surgery to try and correct it. But on the way, he's like, Mark, you just don't realize how much you value your eye until you lose it. And then it's like, wow, it really, really is amazing. You know, for some, it's like, ah, it's just Susan Boyle. I heard her before. Or like, ah, it's just my old lady. We take for granted some pretty amazing, amazing things. And so today, I just simply wanted to ask you this question. When's the last time you were amazed by grace? When's the last time you were amazed by God's gift of grace in your life? In 1732, it's a famous story, but in 1732, little Johnny, six-year-old Johnny, he's not six here, but um, when he was six, he sat beside his mother's bedside as she succumbed to tuberculosis. Six-year-old boy, can you picture it? Real guy, real story. Johnny's sitting beside, his mom passes away of tuberculosis. His father's a shipping merchant, so he's not even home. He doesn't come home for a number of weeks till he can finally get back to, uh, to his young son uh, and to bury his wife. Shortly after that, he gets remarried, and he leaves his newly pregnant wife with his young son at home as he goes back out to work on the sea. Uh, and as she gives birth to this baby, Johnny becomes an afterthought. He's, she does, she does, has no use for him anymore. And so at seven years old, she sends him off to boarding school instead of parenting. And in boarding school, things did not go well for him. He was mistreated. He was, uh, had gone through some crazy, crazy experiences there. And then by the age of 11, he's just like, he left boarding school. And his dad's like, well, I don't know what to do with him. Stepmom doesn't want him. I don't really know what to do with him. So I'll take him along on the boat. Age 11, on a boat in a working man's world, little Johnny is in spots where all of a sudden he experiences near-death experiences. And every time those near-death experiences, he wasn't a good boy, but he remembered his mom who had always said, you know, you know God loves you. I hope someday you'll be a pastor, Johnny. I hope that you're going to grow up to, to know the Lord. And, and he would always in those moments after that near-death experience have those little heart-to-hearts with the Lord. And he would sit there and he'd be like, God, Oh, you know, I, I, I repent. I hope I'm okay with you. And, uh, and then two days later, his bad habits would return. Well, not being parented and being around men all the time, uh, guys on the ships, he learned incredibly uh, poor uh, language skills, but also just bad behavioral skills. And as he, uh, as he was um, getting, getting older, he got enforced to join the Royal Navy. 
And uh, he, didn't, he hated the fact that he had to join the Royal Navy. So he said, God, how could you let this happen to me? And so I don't need you anymore. I don't want anything to do with God anymore. And he renounced faith completely. Well, as he joined the Navy, he renounced the Navy too. And he decided he'd just stay home with his girlfriend instead of reporting for duty. Well, that wasn't allowed. And so they came, they found him, they brought him. They, um, they, they uh, mocked him in front of his whole crew. And then they demoted him to serve on a, on a slave ship. And he got to that slave ship, and the, the captain of that slave ship said, I've never seen a man with such vulgar language and such vile behavior. He swore and cussed, and when he ran out of words, they said he just made up new swear words just so that he would have something to say. He'd get in frequent disagreements with the captain. He would mock the captain. He was good at writing songs, so he'd write songs about the captain and get all the rest of the fellas to sing with him. Well, the captain finally started punishing the crew, and so they realized it was little Johnny, now teen Johnny, who's getting them in trouble, and so they began punishing him as well. They chained him down in the bottom of the boat with the slaves. They starved him, and then finally they couldn't take it anymore, and so they just left him on a slave plantation to work as a slave. It was a year later that his dad found him, rescued him from that place, put him on a new ship called the Greyhound, and with that new ship, he began sailing, you know, again, in the trading slaves. And they were in the northern Atlantic Sea. And as they were uh, sailing, all of a sudden they hit a storm. It was March of 1774, 1748. They hit a storm so rough that the boat began falling apart. And so as John climbed the ladder, he said the guy in front of him got washed overboard just in front of him, terrified. He's terrified, but he didn't want to go down because water was coming in. So as the men below were f- plugging all the holes with their bedding, John tried to tell the captain, we've got to do, and the captain just gave up. So John took the wheel, and as he was holding the wheel of the ship, he just prayed out a prayer, God, have mercy on me. It was the only prayer he could remember. Lord, have mercy on me. And so as he held the, the wheel for another 11 hours, the storm finally subsided, and their wrecked ship just drifted aimlessly until two weeks later it landed in Ireland. And as he got off the boat, he just couldn't help but think, you know, that prayer that I prayed for 11 hours, Lord, have mercy on me. I think he did. I think he did. I'm, I'm here today as a result. He spent another couple of years in the slave industry, on the slave ships, but always wanting to find out more about this God who had mercy on him. And so after he left the slave ship, he was in England, he, uh, he joined a church and as he joined the church, he was so passionate about knowing this God that he learned Latin and he taught himself um, uh, Greek so he could study and learn for himself about this God. And the people around him thought, man, John is just so passionate about this. He should be a pastor. And so they told him, you should be a pastor. Well, he went to try and become a pastor in the Church of England and they didn't want him because of his past behavior, how he had treated slaves, his reputation was known. And so he... Uh, He decided he would just go to this other church. Well, they just made him their pastor, and he shared his life stories with them. And then for their prayer meetings, he would always try and write these poems or songs that they could sing at their prayer meetings. And one day he sat down and says he spent a week just writing out the words of his life story. If I could just write down my life story, that people could maybe be challenged by it. And he titled that last, that, that, that particular song, Faith's Review and Expectation. It's an incredibly famous, famous um, hymn now to this day. It starts with these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And he wanted people to know that there was a was and there's a now. Who I once was is not who I am now. Who you once were, you don't have to be now. And so he says there's a difference between then and now. 
There's a difference between then and now. We see it all the time in different things. Like, for instance, back then in the 1800s, you know, if you were, wanted to have the, the coolest set of wheels, you would have tried to ride one of these, a stagecoach, because it had four horsepower. Pretty impressive back then. Pretty amazing back then. Just 100 years later, in the 1900s, they had the, the 1908 Model T. This one came out with 20 horsepower, which was absolutely amazing. 20 horses under that hood. And if you're following along, in 2020, we've got the Ford Mustang Shelby GT500 that's coming out, and for a cool $74,500, you can get the base model, but it packs 760 horsepower. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. But there's a difference between then and now. And the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, guys who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, guys who saw the events that happened, Luke was one who talked to all the eyewitnesses and said, tell me what happened, let me write it down. These gospel writers tell the accounts of people who met Jesus and would say, I had a then, and now I have a now. There's guys like Peter. Peter, who was a, a coward until he met Jesus, and then he turned into someone so he was bold as a lion. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a thief, that, but after he met Jesus, he became a generous giver to others. There was a woman who washed Jesus' feet. She was this promiscuous prostitute who became this passionate worshiper of Jesus, and he said, she's an example to you what I love about Jesus. He'll take the people that others would look down on and say, ah, actually, that's the one you should be looking up to. She's an example to you. There was a woman at a well. Jesus sat down with her. She said she was an adulterer, had five different husbands, but he says once she met Jesus, she became an evangelist. There was Nicodemus, who was a scholar of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament inside and out, but then he discovered this one simple truth called grace. And then there was a man named Paul, who was before was named Saul of Tarsus, a religious hypocrite, because there's some of those around today too. This religious hypocrite who thought by murdering Christians he was actually doing God a favor. Well, he became the one who would teach billions of people through his letters about this Christ that leads to life. He wrote about this idea of then and now, even with his own life. And we've been studying Romans verse by verse as a group. Oh, it's just absolutely an incredible, incredible book. There's a guy named Brother Wayne Barber. He's no longer alive, but through video, we get to learn from, from what, he's, uh, what he learned about Romans and systematically explaining what the good news is. And, and here's what it is. If you have your Bible, go to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 says this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Why? Because it's the good news is, is, um, is the power of God at work. That good news is the power of God at work. It's saving everyone who believes in that good news. Doesn't matter who you are, the Jew or the Gentile, male, female, Canadian, Dutch, American, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, young or old, the good news has the power to save. It says this good news tells us how God has made us right with him. It's accomplished from start to finish by faith, by trusting in him. It's not our own deal. It's what he's done for us. And as the scriptures say, it's through trusting God or through faith that a righteous person has life. When we sit in church, we sometimes think good news is the good news, the gospel. The good news is for unchurched people. They need to hear the good news. But Paul wasn't writing to unchurched people. He was writing to believers, reminding people like me and people like you that we still need the good news because the good news isn't just this thing we hear once. It's something that reminds us that there was a then and there is a now. Because if we don't realize that, sometimes we'll be tempted to think like back then rather than to live in right now. And so Paul describes a little further in Romans, Romans 6, 14. This is what the then and the now looks like. He says this. He says, sin is no longer, because that was back then, but sin is no longer your master now. He says, you no longer. That was back then. 
you know, live, you don't live under the requirements of law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. This word under, what are you living under? It's kind of my question for you this morning. What are you living under? For, for many people, they call themselves, yeah, I'm Christian. I, you know, I believe that Jesus died for me. But they don't live under this idea of grace. They tend to slip back and live under this idea of law. And for others who are not Jesus followers, it's like they live under this idea of law of trying to be a better person. Maybe it's why you came to church this morning. The thought of maybe, maybe I can, you know, this, is, this would be a good thing for me. Maybe I can become a little, I got these things that I don't love about me. And maybe, maybe I can, you know, outdo those by doing some good stuff. So what's the law and what's grace? This morning, you know, as we, we would tend to think God gave the law to the people of Israel, the Ten Commandments, we would think of, say, the Ten Commandments. This is what God gave to the, to the nation of Israel. That was kind of their family rules. Every family has rules. But this was God's for a whole nation and said, here's the rules that I want you to treat people differently, and I want you to treat God differently so that you look different from every other nation because we're going to do something with you down the road. But that law, that Ten Commandments, he gave them the Ten Commandments, it didn't give them any power to actually keep them. They couldn't actually keep them because Paul wrote in Romans 7 that though he knew that Ten Commandments inside and out, there was something inside of him that wouldn't keep it. It was always this, this little bit of rebelliousness on the inside that, yeah, I, that's a good idea, but I ain't doing that. You know, the Ten Commandments are a good idea, but part of me, it's like, ah, I find it hard to keep it. Because, you know, sin, sin uh, rebels against the good law every single time. You know, there's a story of two boys who walk down the road every day past a greenhouse. And they go past this greenhouse every day on their way home from school. And then one day, all of a sudden, there's a sign up that says, don't throw rocks at the greenhouse. Well, guess what happened that day? Of course, those little boys throw rocks at the greenhouse. You know, it's the same for all of us. It, uh, for me, it's speed limit signs. I see the speed limit sign like 80. I, I just, I even have this app that helps me not to speed. Uh, and so it beeps when I go too fast, but you can set it at where it's going to beep. You know where I set it? 15 over, because I think 19 is probably where I could get a ticket, but not 15 over. The only person I know who drives the speed limit is Lily. And I always get annoyed because I'm late to church every time I follow her. But <laughs> there's this part in me, even like, ah, uh, even though I see those laws after law, after, there's no power in those signs to make Mark keep that law. Why? Because it doesn't, it doesn't have that ability. And so the Ten Commandments, they, they added to it 613 others to try and help them. There was relational laws. How do you treat your wife and how do you treat your children? And then there was sacrificial laws. How do you treat, treat God? And then there was sacrifice for sins that you would, you would have these sacrificial things that you would do so that you could be forgiven before God. And when Paul was writing this, there was people that in that day, religious Jewish people who kept saying, you know, no, it's not, you can't just believe in Jesus. You still got to do all this other, you got to do all this other stuff. So today, if they're around, it would be like them inviting you to church by saying, hey, hey, you want to come to my church and keep a whole list of unkeepable rules with me that I don't keep? Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to go somewhere or join something where they've got to keep rules. Paul was like, that's not good news for any, anyone. They all got enough rules. That was then, he says, but there's something different now. And I hope this morning that today you might be able to answer this question. Am I right with God? Am I right with God? Am I in the right standing? Am I, am I good with God? Because I think that's a question every single person should ask. Someday we're going to meet him. Our eternity hangs in that balance. Am I right with God? And you're like, well, some people are like, oh, I don't know. 
The thing is, you can know, and you should know. And so the answer to that question, I, I hope, comes out this morning. As Paul, through, um, through Romans, he contrasts these two things, this, this idea of law and grace. And so with these pictures, I hope that may help you figure out kind of which side you, you live on, what side you live under. Paul would say that the, the, the law, the Ten Commandments, they were, they were originally written on stone. They were, they were heavy physically, but that was, it was bigger than that. They were heavy to carry. It was like, I, oh man, I'll try and keep that. Oh, I'll try and keep that. And for some, they thought they did. You know, I haven't murdered anyone. And Jesus would say to them, but have you hated somebody in your heart? Yeah, my younger brother all the time. He says, well, you've committed murder in your heart. Really? He's like, well, I've never committed adultery. He's like, you ever look at a woman and lust for her in your heart? Uh, maybe. He says, well, then you've committed adultery in your heart. And all of a sudden, the weight of this just becomes so heavy. You want to try and keep it? Go ahead. But it's heavy. Paul says, you know what? Grace is light. Why? Because Jesus said it. Matthew wrote it down. Jesus said to those in verse uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, come to me. He never said, come to a list of rules. He, he, he started this message all the time. Come to me. Come to a person. If you're weary, if you're feeling burdened, if you're feeling like, oh, this list is difficult, he says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on me. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke's easy. My burden, it's light. Oh, this idea of falling, you know, being a Christian. Oh, it's so hard. He's like, well, then you're doing it wrong. He's like, there's meant to be this thing of, of it being light, of it being, of it being um, uh, refreshing and restful. But he says, you know, the, the law, the law will tell you something different. The law buries you. It buries you beneath like a, the guilt of sin. You know, when a Christian sins and all of a sudden guilt comes on, that's not Christ. That's law that just says you're terrible, you're terrible, you dirty, rotten sinner. Because you know what happens when you feel terrible? You usually go back to what it was, the thing that you thought was going to make you feel better. If it was a drink, if it was something you saw on the internet, whatever it'll be, you'll go back to that same thing and the trap cycle just continues. Why? Because law has no power to help you keep it. But grace? Grace carries you. It's like that hot air balloon. Those people in that basket aren't doing anything. They're just along for the ride. Grace just lifts them up. Grace is what says, whoa, this is who I am. I've been forgiven and being carried. Law says you're dead. You're dead in sin. Romans 7 verse 9, Paul says to them, you know, when, sin, when the law became alive, sin became alive and I died. I couldn't, I couldn't keep it and feel, feel dead inside. Whereas with grace, it's just like I'm alive with Christ. I'm alive to Christ. The law will say you're a slave, a slave to sin. Whoever you choose to obey, you become a slave to that thing. And for many, that's like how you got stuck in things. He was like, you know, he said, oh, I'll just, I'll take one smoke. And pretty soon it's like, you know, you, you can't stop. Or I'll take one drink or I'll tell one lie or whatever. And you can't stop. Whereas Grace says you're a child. A child is a voluntary bond servant. It's not a slave, but they have the chance to obey righteousness. Not because they have to, but because we can. Law says you've got to change from the outside. We'll change you from the outside. How many of you love it when people try and change you from the outside? Spouses? It doesn't work, does it? What do we do? We put up these walls on the inside. Like, I'm not going to change for them. But grace comes and says, oh, let's deal with what's really going on. Let's deal with what's on the inside. It's funny how, you know, people can try and change someone from the outside, and they'll put up all this resistance. And then Holy Spirit all of a sudden drops it in their heart that they should, you know, change from the inside. And they use all that same effort to change from the inside out. And you see it on the outside. That's why. It's what grace can do. Law, you know, it says focuses on the problem. Law always focuses on the problem. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. 
where grace simply focuses on the solution. The solution's not, the solution's a person. It focuses on the person. Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, you know what, just walk in the Spirit. You want to focus on something, stop trying to, to, to fix the sin problem. Just focus on me. Focus on Jesus. Walk in the Spirit, and that stuff will take care of itself. You won't end up fulfilling the desires of your flesh. Paul wrote to the Romans in verse, uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 8. He says, set your mind. Set your thoughts on him. Because when you set your thoughts on him, well, they're, they're just not going to think about all those other things that you, you wish you didn't. When we first, years ago, when I was struggling with uh, porn addiction, we had started um, uh, an accountability group. And in our accountability group, we would talk with one another, and you know, we'd text one another uh, every day. And so there was days where we'd be texting and say, hey, how you doing? And, and the, the response would come back, well, I was doing okay, but now I'm thinking about it. Thanks to you. Why? Because all it does is bring up this thing of focusing on the problem, and the problem doesn't go away. It just gets bigger. But what we found and we realized where true freedom came is when we began to just focus on Jesus. We'd get together. We'd send each other scripture. We would talk to each other when we met and say, hey, you know, how's things? what are you learning from scripture? What are you learning from the word? What are you learning about Jesus? And just that passion to know him more. All of a sudden, freedom was like the byproduct of that. I love what Brother Wayne Barber said in our Roman study this week. He said this victory, victory in your life, victory isn't you overcoming sin. Victory is Jesus and his grace overcoming you. Victory isn't you overcoming sin. Victory is Jesus and his grace overcoming you. It's that same grace that you put your trust in to save you. It's that same grace that changes you. We've so often are this thought that, oh, well, we've got to do it ourselves. There's a story of a man who was flying a small plane. As he's flying the plane, he noticed he heard something in the back or felt something in the, in the steering column, and he looked back and sees this rat chewing on his rudder wires. And he realized if the rat chews through the rudder wires, we're going down. And so his thought is, i got to go back there and get that rat. And so as he thinks about climbing back into the back of the plane, he realizes, well, no one's going to pilot the plane, and we're both going to die. And so he decides to do something else instead. He grabs his oxygen mask, he sticks it on, and he just flies higher, where he can breathe, but the rat can't. It's the same thing. If you've got stuff going on in your life, sometimes you're like, I'm going to focus on them, I'm going to fix that, I'm going to fix that. That's like climbing in the back of the plane. You're going down. Just set your eyes on Jesus, he says, and fly higher. That thing will starve to death in the presence of, of his presence. You know, law says you're stuck, and it's true, because no matter how hard you try, you will end up stuck in this thing called sin. You'll be stuck there. Uh, this week in Colorado, it's raining everywhere too much, and raining in Colorado as well. Uh, this, this week, people on their way to the airport, there was a road detour, and so people started leaving the ro- um, following Google Maps, and a hundred cars ended up stuck in this farmer's muddy field simply because they all took this detour, 100 cars. Well, that's, that's what happens. They end up, you know, people end up stuck until the tow truck comes to pull them out, and really, Jesus is like the tow truck in our lives when we're stuck. He simply says, listen, you got in this mess and you can't get out, but I can pull you out. But here's the catch. I'm going to give you the hook. You have to stay connected to me. As long as you keep, as long as you stay um, connected to me, as long as you continue to trust me, I'm going to pull you through. But so many people get to that spot where like you get pulled a few inches and like, okay, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'll take it from here. I'm going to be a better person now. I've got all these things that I'm going to do. And your guardrails and whatever you set up, they're good guides, but they don't have the power to change anything because it just doesn't work. In the song that we sing, Death Was Arrested. My kids like to sing it, Beth Was Arrested. And uh, (laughs) I'm free, free, forever, we're free. It totally changes the meaning of the song, but 
In that song, it just says those words, free, free, forever we're free. And too many times we'll sing those words with the thought of, well, I feel free today, but I'm not sure about tomorrow. Or another day, I don't know if I feel free today. The problem with feeling free is this this simple thought that as you stay connected to him, you're free forever because he did it forever. It's the times when we say, oh, you know what? I'm so grateful for grace. Thank you, Jesus. And then we say, well, but but I'm going to try harder now. I'm going to try and keep the Ten Commandments now that you end up stuck again. He's saying you need to stay on that side. I hear so many times where people like you ask them, what's it mean to be a Christian? Well, be a good person, go to church, and try and keep the Ten Commandments. Hogwash! I wish I could say viler words. (laughs) It's what I really feel. That is not Christianity. That is not good news at all. It's not good news at all, but this is. Somebody wrote to Hebrews and said this, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let's strip off every weight and sin that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let's run with endurance this race that God has set before us, this life that he has set before us. How do we do it? Well, we do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It's because of the joy that was awaiting him. He endured the cross. He disregarded its shame, and he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Like, you want to you live this life of faith in, in Christ? He's like, how do we do it? Keep your eyes on him. Like, okay, that's good, but how do I do that? How do I keep my eyes on him? Can I say this? That summer vacation doesn't mean spiritual vacation. If you're listening online and you skipped her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> summer, summer vacation doesn't mean spiritual vacation. And spiritual vacation is not, spiritual is not what you do on Sunday. Spiritual is you all the time. You're not a physical and a spiritual person separately. You're one person. Your spiritual life is your every single day. And so my challenge to you is, if you're saying, how do I keep my eyes on Jesus? Make time. Make time for Bible study. To study his word. And I go, I don't know how to do that. Join one. Join one of our studies and say, well, that's another night a week. It will be the greatest night of the week when you look back at it, you know, 10 years from now. Or join starting point and say, you know, where people are just going to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. You want to know more about Jesus? Let's, let's have some conversations about Jesus. It will do wonders for you. You can fill out the card right now. If you say, this is what I want to do, be in a place where you encourage one another. For some of you, you got your summer playlist ready. You know, I got Taylor Swift and whoever else on your summer playlist. Can I tell you something? Replace that junk with, uh, with some worship music, things that'll get your mind on him. It's why we sing the songs we sing. Why? Because get your mind on him. It helps set your mind on him. It's amazing what will happen. It's amazing what will happen when your day is, is saturated with just thinking about him. And the third thing is this, just pursue him. Just determine that I just want to know the Lord more. Because it's amazing what we'll do when we want something, when we want to know someone. How many of you married people remember back when you were first dating? It's crazy the stuff we did back then. I remember Beth was in school in Hamilton. I would drive like an hour or whatever to get to, to go see her for half an hour just so we could talk and then drive home. And then when I get home, I'd go on the computer and look at MSN to see if Diamond might be online so we could chat, you know, with our fingers until late, late in the night. <laughs> Where are those moments? There was no law saying, Mark, if thou dost wish to marry this beautiful blonde Dutch girl, then thou shalt drive one hour, and then thou shalt spend at least half an hour, and then thou shalt go home, and thou shalt get online, and thou shalt text her for this many minutes, and then, you know what? There's no law. I didn't need a law. It's just all I wanted was more of Bethany Grace. I didn't need a law. Man, how much more for him? 
how much more for genuine relationship with him? It's crazy if we want something, what we're willing to do to get that. And so just to shift our desire. So when we look at the law and we look at grace, which one are we under and which one do you want? He says simply, you know, grace, grace is amazing. If we just pursue him and realize that his forgiveness and his love, it's, it's available all the time simply because he wants relationship with us. It is so, so important that we understand that and not just for you, not just for you personally to understand it, but for the world around us. How we understand this is how we, how we see other people and how we share good news with others. Because the question today was, are you right with God? Are you living under grace? Because he says, without grace and without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're trying to live this other side, good luck. Are you right with God? And maybe for you, you thought Christianity, that all you knew was this side. You thought that's what it is. I just got to keep the, keep the rules, try and be a better person. Didn't realize today might be the first day where you're like, Jesus, I'm sorry that I was doing it that way. I just receive you, your forgiveness. I just trust you. I don't know all the words, but I, I'm just putting my trust in you this morning. Be incredibly, incredibly different. You know, and there's others around us. Are they right with God? The people in your family and your work, as we kind of wind this up this morning, you know, we're so quick. <laughs> we're so quick to look at outward behavior when we see other people. Beth and I went to visit somebody in the hospital last Sunday, and we ended up like uh, half a block from the Pride Parade. And so we're like, we got to go and get some selfies. So we went and uh, took some pictures uh, and just hung out there. And, you know, there's people at the Pride Parade with their big, with their big boards of protest. You know, Taylor Swift's song, Gotta Calm Down. You know, there's people there, all these like hickish Christians with their like homosexuality is sin and, and like you people need to stop sinning and, and whatever else. Do you realize that they can't, if we, whatever you want to think of all that stuff, that no person can stop sinning. That's not the message they need. What they need is Christ. They just simply need to know Jesus for themselves and then allow him to do inside of them what needs to be done in their lives. They can't do it on their own and we shouldn't be telling them to try because we couldn't. They need a person. They need a someone. They need grace. You know, and the thing is, people don't know what people don't know. We're so quick to look at people and think certain things, you know, uh, that their lifestyle or whatever. People would have looked at John Newton, guy who wrote the hymn, thinking, man, you know, if they knew his story, maybe they would understand where, where, why he was the type of person he was. A couple, uh, maybe about a month and a half ago, uh, I was driving Zane home to his house, and I was driving down that kind of that back road uh, that they live on. I saw this car on the side of the road, and it was just sort of pulled into it, like just pulled into the driveway of a farmer's field. It's a nice white car, and as I drove by, Zane looks out the window. He's like, I think they're stuck. I'm like, they're not stuck. And I drove and dropped Zane off. I came back, and they're still there. And so I pull over, and he runs out. I'm like, are you stuck? He's like, yeah, I've been trying to get out of here for like, you know, 45 minutes. And, and I look at his car, and I was like, figures, it's this guy with his city slicks, you know, and he didn't realize that wet Haldeman clay and city slick tires do not go together. He had only pulled in six inches off the ground and yet he was spinning, spinning away, couldn't get out. So I crawled under his car, I attached it to my little Honda Accord, and I tried to pull him out, and I busted my strap, and I was like, okay, I'll go get more power. I went and got Lily's minivan, I came back with a chain, and we pulled him out. And I pulled him out, and he's like, oh, I gotta pay you, or whatever. I was like, you don't have to pay us, and we invite him to church, and he actually came, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. But then as I, as I left, uh, Lily drove and turned around and went back, and he stuck again. His car had rolled back into the spot. And so she had, she had to, to pull him out again. But, you know, as we, as we sat there, as we um, saw that, what we realized is that he did not intend to get himself stuck. 
That wasn't his plan. I'm going to take some girl out, go show her the country, and we're going to get stuck in a field, and then I'm going to get my car and my clothes completely muddy. That was never his intention. And when we see people that we think are stuck, they never intended to get stuck. No one in grade one says, you know, in grade one, we're like, I want, to, I want to grow up someday. I want to be a policeman, or I want to be a firefighter, or I want to be a doctor or an astronaut. They never sit in grade one being, I'd like to be an alcoholic someday. I can't wait to grow up and be a deadbeat dad. I know you left, but none of them ever intended to be a porn addict, an alcoholic, you know, a drug addict, a compulsive liar. Nobody grew up planning to be stuck. They never intended to. So when you are around people that you find are stuck, the last thing they need is this. The one they need is, is him. It matters how we see people because it matters how we share this good news People don't need to know around us, oh, here, come to a church and follow some rules. Try and be a better person. <laughs> they just need to know that there's a God who loves them and did everything needed so that he could have a relationship with them and set them free if they want it. How we see people matters. This last story, this guy named Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, famous evangelist from the States. He traveled over to uh, Britain to do some crusades, and people came, flocked to these crusades and came and put, to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the British pastors were like, well, how come that doesn't happen for us? And so they, three of them went and met D.L. Moody in his hotel room and said, Dwight, tell us, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing that we're not doing? And he just simply said this, would you come? He said, would you come to the window? And as he went to the window, he says, I want you to just look out the window and tell me what you see. And each one of the pastors looked out the window and they said, well, this is what we see. And they described the people that they saw walking around. And then Dwight walked up to the window. And as he was walking to the window, tears running down his face. They said to him, Dwight, what, what do you see? Here's his words. He says, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. Not if they find rules to keep. He says, if they don't find the Savior. Thousands. What is that? There's something about seeing people for where they're at in their relationship with Christ rather than seeing everything else around them. Man, oh, the power of God's grace. Oh, the power of his amazing grace. Where would I be if it wasn't for his amazing grace? Where would you be? Where would you be if it wasn't for his amazing grace? Do you have a then in your life and a now? Or is it still, you know, your life is kind of then, it's just what your life is. You're still trying to impress God. You're still trying to be a better person, a gooder person, whatever it may be. Or he's like, you know what? No, I fully trust in his amazing grace. And I'm reminded again today of how amazing and how powerful that is. Simply receiving his grace. At the end of his life, John Newton, back to John, last thought. John Newton, as he was at the end of his life, he had helped to abolish slavery. He was laying in his bed. His friends came to visit him. And one of his friends shared this memory of him. He said, John, as he was laying there, said, you know what? His friend William J. recorded these words. He said, William, my memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things clearly. Here's the two things I remember clearly, that I was a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. I was a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. That song that he wrote, Amazing Grace, it actually was completely forgotten about. It didn't instantly become famous. It actually was one of those things that was just was for that prayer meeting and then wasn't thought of again. Until... Years later, 50 years later, all of a sudden this song was being sung down in the slave plantations in the southern states. 
Same words, new tune. The one, the tune that you know. That song's sung 10 million times every single year. Amazing Grace was recorded on 11,000 different albums. Why? Because those words of John Newton's story just so connected with people, so connected with their heart that, you know what? It's true. Without grace, where would I be? Where would I be? And so this morning, I just want to invite you to sing those words with me. And my heart and my prayers as we sing these words of amazing grace, that they might simply do the same thing in you that they've done in millions of other people. Maybe for the first time, you just realize, wow, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. And for others, maybe it's just that great reminder of what he's done. Would you sing along? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Alone in my sorrow, dead in my sin. Say, lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began Cause ash was redeemed, only beauty remains My orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance Cause death was arrested and my life began Would you stand and sing this with us? Oh, your grace so free Washes over me You have made me new Now life begins with you It's your endless I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom He faithfully bore He canceled my debt And he called me his friend When death was arrested And my life began Oh, your grace is so free Washes over your endless love pouring down over us. You have made us new and life begins with you. Yeah, Jesus. Oh, 
Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. And darkness rejoices though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with my freedom in Thank you. That's when death was rested in my life. Thank you, Jesus. It's your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life, it begins with you. It begins with you. Yeah, Lord. As we walk today with you, Jesus. You're the song on our lips. You're the name on our lips. See, Jesus, the anthem of my heart. Jesus, the anchor of my soul. Lord, I'm overwhelmed by all you are. Oh, how I love you. Jesus, the anthem of my heart. And Jesus, the anchor of my soul. Well, I'm overwhelmed by all you. Jesus, the anthem of my heart. Jesus, you're the anchor of my soul. I'm overwhelmed by all you are. Oh, how I 
overwhelmed. All you are. God, you alone are worthy for your sacrifice. We say worthy is the lamb who was slain. You alone are. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. And worthy is the lamb who was slain. Lord, worthy is the king who conquered the grave. From a heart to yours, worthy is the lamb who was slain. We say, worthy is the king who conquered the grave. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Say, worthy, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross So thankful you would lay down your life That I could be set It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Cause I once was lost, but now I found was blind, but now I through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and your grace will lead me. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing your praise than when we first began. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Where would we be without you and your amazing grace? Father, thank you for the chance this morning to just be reminded once again. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you don't let us forget as we live today, living it out in your grace, living it in our lives and living it out towards others. May you be glorified. May you be glorified. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.